0: From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. Since we've launched this podcast, I spend a lot of time talking about the COVID 19 crisis. But I would argue that the biggest crisis we're facing in 2021 isn't actually COVID, it's the nursing crisis. Today, we don't have enough nurses or nursing expertise to meet the demands of the Delta surge, plus everything else that hospitals need to get done. And if we're going to get ahead of this, we have to start addressing some of the bigger problems bedside nurses face today, including those that they faced prior to the pandemic. So to do that, I've brought my colleague and advisory board chief nursing officer, Carol Boston Fleischauer. Hey, Carol, welcome back to Radio Advisory.
1: Great to see you, Ray. Great to chat with you this afternoon.
0: It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. You were one of our first guests talking about, gosh, back in 2020, the first Nurses Week at the very, very beginning of the crisis. And I'm guessing you're going to tell me that the situation for nurses hasn't exactly gotten better uh, since then.
1: I guess that's an understatement. In fact, you know, A question that I get, you know, asked about every day, and that is, how do we stop the exodus of registered nurses from our inpatient healthcare environments, period, hard stop? That's it. That is the number one question.
0: I completely agree. And I don't want to use this word lightly, right? A lot of people talk about crises, the the COVID-19 crisis. I've talked about various health equity crises before, but maybe this is a better use of that word because we really are dealing with a crisis amongst our workforce. And for today, I want to focus specifically on the nursing workforce. We're going to get into the specifics, but I I just want you to start to level set with me at a high level. What is actually happening in the nursing space? Why is it crisis level?
1: Yeah, for all sorts of reasons. For all sorts of reasons, registered nurses are leaving hospital employment at rates far greater than we've ever seen as long as I've been in healthcare. Uh, So we now have an increasingly severe supply-demand imbalance, every Hmm. workforce metric that executive teams track is going in the wrong direction. Turnover, vacancy rates, time to fill, all trending the wrong way, no signs of reversal.
0: What does that mean for the individuals who are responsible for responding to that supply demand mismatch?
1: Well, in the immediate, what, you know, chief nurse executives are challenge to do in partnership with human resource executives is figure out how to staff units in order to keep not only um, beds open, but also services at the level that the community needs. That's the immediate pressure point that, you know, every chief nurse executive that I talk to almost on a daily basis is contending they are having increasingly more and more trouble with.
0: And this is why the word crisis is so important. It's not just that the individual people, the nurses themselves, are feeling pushed out of the workforce. It is also a problem for the administrators, the hospital executives, the people who are responsible for making sure that we can provide patient care. Let me ask you this. Are we seeing this across the whole country, or is this really just a problem in areas where the Delta variant is is creating surges?
1: Gosh, I wish it was just regional. You know, while some regions are obviously more hard hit than others, I would absolutely suggest that 99% of your listeners to our conversation um, are dealing with extreme staffing issues right now, not just in one or two units, but quite frankly, across the house.
0: How much of this is a problem of boots on the ground, right? We talk about not having enough people, right? Enough actual bodies to be able to staff inpatient units, ICUs, et cetera. Or is this something more than that? I'm thinking a shortage of skills and expertise that are necessary at the bedside.
1: Many organizations are unfortunately seeing increased numbers of mid-career as well as more experienced registered nurses either taking time off or leaving the organization altogether, if not retiring from the profession. And so hmm. one of the one of the phenomenon that organizations are dealing with is um, an increased number of brand new or novice nurses that are available to work, that are being hired to work, with less than uh, threshold experience in order to handle the complexities of the care environment that uh, they are facing, be it COVID-related care or non-COVID care. That, as we all know, was delayed for such a long period of time during the height of the surge last year. Right. So, you know, there is an ex- there is an increasing imbalance between um, the level of experience and therefore the skill level of registered nurses that are practicing and willing to be employed in in the inpatient environment at a time when the the care in the inpatient environment is more complex than ever before.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is exactly why executives are making what I might call desperate moves, right? You mentioned this already, but in a world where this supply-demand mismatch is so severe We see executives saying, we'll do anything to get people and and hopefully some expertise at the bedside. And I'm seeing executives pay, I'm talking huge signing or retention bonuses just in order to keep the lights on. How much money are we really throwing at this problem?
1: The sign-on bonus war (laughs) that's going on, not only... Locally, but quite frankly, you know, across across regions, um, can go anywhere between I don't know one or two thousand dollars to up to forty, if not fifty thousand dollars, just to get one clinician into the organization. Wow! These are you know these are extraordinarily high incentives for you know registered nurses who, quite frankly have lost a fair amount of their organizational loyalty and so therefore are willing to go within reason wherever they can get the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, compensation boost uh, for uh, the employment that they're willing to commit to. But the problem with sign-on bonuses is, you know, they don't incent a registered nurse to stick with an organization. There's Mm. typically a finite period of time that the registered nurse has to stay with an organization in order to get the complete sign-on bonus. But the majority of organizations report that overwhelmingly, as soon as the sign-on bonus time requirement is satisfied, these registered nurses leave and they go somewhere else to get another sign-on bonus. And so uh, it is a Band-Aid solution. It does nothing to change the downward spiral. That so many provider organizations are currently experiencing.
0: And this has to be why this is getting the attention of one key member at least of the C suite, which is the chief financial officer, who is writing these checks. And from what you're telling me, it doesn't actually seem to be working, right? We're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars to get one person in. And and it sounds to me like these nurses are still leaving the institutions.
1: A couple of additional issues here that, you know, executives in particular, chief financial officers and chief executive officers have to balance. For every registered nurse that you incent to come into your organization and you pay a huge sign-on bonus in order to get them in, on the one hand, what you're doing is you are – supporting your organization's ability to staff the organization, perhaps over the next month. Sure. But you're doing nothing to stabilize your workforce over the long term. Nothing, mm-hmm. because these folks have no organizational loyalty to you. Furthermore, evidence has clearly shown that sign-on bonuses generate incredible resentment amongst incumbent registered nurses. That's, that's right. they stuck with organizations during the height of the surge, maybe with a little bit of bonus pay provided, but nothing in the level that these sign-on bonuses. And so, you know, put yourself in an incumbent's shoes. Why should I stay with an organization who maybe gave me a couple of pizzas and gave me maybe a $500, you know, bonus check when in fact People that are coming in from our competitors are now getting paid upwards of $40,000 just to accept employment. There's 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 a disincentive uh, to your incumbents at the same time.
0: But let me push back a little bit from what I'm hearing from the CFOs, right? I, I, I grounded this move in desperation, which I think is an accurate way of describing how these folks are asking. I think they know that it is a Band-Aid at best, and they might say, yes, I want to fix the structural problems of nursing, but I need to fix this shortage problem that I have right now. And so they're almost willing to throw money at the problem. What do you have to say to that kind of move? Is that the right thing to do, knowing that it's temporary, knowing the downstream impact that it's going to have on incumbent staff? Or do we need to think about different kinds of solutions here?
1: If the only thing an organization does is invest in sign-on bonuses as well as augment rotating staff with extended contracts with agency labor, right, it's going to do nothing to stabilize your workforce over the long term. So the expenses associated with chronic sign-on bonuses and chronic use or over reliance of travelers never goes away. Hmm. It's just a, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a cost that, frankly, from a financial standpoint, an organization just can't sustain. So, if an organization has to resort to sign-on bonuses, and I and I get it, don't over rely on sign-on bonuses and agency labor to the detriment of doing anything else to invest in what you've got to do to stabilize your incumbent workforce at the same time. It's not an either or. It's a both and.
0: Hmm. So then let's talk about what it would really take to stabilize the workforce. Now, I'm not sure the right way to think about this is as purely a COVID-19 problem. Obviously, the pandemic has made this a lot worse. Are there underlying reasons that existed before the COVID-19 crisis that showcase the the fragility in the nursing workforce especially in the inpatient space?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting a lot of folks, you know, may may have forgotten but we were already facing a growing nursing shortage pre-pandemic. Many organizations were starting to grapple with that issue on how to retain their nurses, especially their novice nursing staff, from leaving within the first one or two years of employment. Unfortunately, and understandably, organizations had to prioritize COVID readiness and COVID care over just about everything else. So things like focusing on vulnerable engagement drivers and professional development and all the things that we normally do to retain employees were suspended. The problems are still there. It is to say that in addition, however, to the pre-existing conditions of a very complex you know, care environment that we were trying to retain nurses in pre-COVID, the damage that staff incurred during COVID has left indelible marks on them. Everyone has Absolutely. seen the data. We've got more mid career nurses either taking extended furloughs to regroup, if not leading their jobs, if not the profession altogether, because of what's happened to them. We've got a battered workforce here that's been through a lot. And we haven't addressed the pre-existing COVID conditions that we were dealing with prior to COVID hitting our organizations as well.
0: And by the way, this is a great teaser for the episode that we are going to have next week, which is kind of continuing this topic of the crisis of the workforce, but focusing on how we can address some of the the moral injury that people on the front lines of this war are, are facing every day. So what you're telling me is that this is not a problem that is going to go away if and when the pandemic wanes. Now, let me force myself to take a positive take for a moment. The one glimmer of hope that I have is that people are talking about this crisis who are not just nurses or who are not just nurse leaders I have never before in my career had so many executives, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, these core members of the executive team come to me and you and our colleagues at advisory board and say, help me combat this workforce issue. We talked a little bit about the CFO concern. What are you hearing specifically from CEOs?
1: Well, you know, from CEOs, um, I'm understandably hearing all sorts of concern regarding the, com- the continued commitment to making certain that the organization or the system safely provides, you know, high quality care at the same time, making certain that beds stay open and services are offered in order to support the health care needs of the community. And so CEOs clearly um, have got a vested interest in you know safe, efficient staffing as an alternative to closing beds, uh, closing services, and obviously impacting revenue. We've got chief medical officers expressing the same concern. Um, if they can't get a case on because you know they've got a sh- you've got a shortage of perioperative staff, or you can't you can't admit a patient into an organization because they're the, because beds are closed. Physicians are frustrated because of the care that their patients can't have at the same time as a consequence of the staffing shortage. This has got a ripple effect across everybody. This is not a nursing labor issue. This is a strategic challenge.
0: And I agree with you completely, especially on some of these ripple effects. When we start to think about safety, when we start to think about never incidents happening, uh, I actually had one physician leader say to me pretty pretty bluntly, "Nobody is working at top of license at my hospital." I don't know if that's a sentiment you've heard, but you know, I hate to say that you know shit really is rolling downhill. And I've heard from nurses that they are cleaning rooms. Delivering food, right? This is not something that is just impacting one aspect of the workforce. It's impacting everyone. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break.
1: At the end of every episode, Ray says we are here to help. And we are. My name is Dia Partlow, and I want to tell you about Ask Advisory. It's a new service that connects you to an advisory board expert like
0: me who can answer your questions. To reach our team, just visit ask.advisory.com and submit a request. It can be about a challenge you're facing, our most recent research,
1: upcoming events, or anything else. It's free and easy. When you've got a tough question, don't go it alone. Visit ask.advisory.com today.
0: So this is a strategic issue, and it's an issue that you're hearing from CMOs, from CEOs. I want to come back to the CFO for a moment. We talked about the cost side of the equation, right, needing to write these massive checks. But I'm guessing they're also very, very concerned about the revenue side of the equation.
1: I know that many organizations are being forced to use some sign of sign-on bonus incentive, right, as well as augment their permanent staff with increased use of traveler nurses. Why? To keep beds open, right? (laughs) To keep revenue flowing, right? To keep services um, available for members of their community. But it is only to say that if the only thing an organization invests in, right, is, Incentives for new hires and acquisition of traveler contracts over an extended period of time, as I mentioned before, that expense is going to continue to be hitting your organization's bottom line, which is why, as it relates to sign-on bonuses, for example, we're seeing an increased number of organizations say, you know what, I'm going to use a little bit of a sign-on bonus, but I'm also going to use a retention bonus. I'm going to incent Hmm. employees that stick with us versus use that precious pool of money only to attract new people in. Or I'm going to use some of that money for employee referrals so that we can, once again, reward our employees who are talking to their friends or their colleagues throughout the community to see if, in fact employees can bring new new candidates into the organization without these outrageous sign on bonuses so you know there's there's a limited amount of money <laughs> the question is That's where right. do you invest it right to get the best return on investment that you possibly can
0: and if you're forced to make one of these band-aid moves it sounds like you're starting to at least hear from some folks that they're connecting that that desperate move to something else. It's the sign-on bonus and, because we know that this has to be temporary. Otherwise, we're just going to be making the problem worse.
1: Well, you, you're you're raising an interesting assumption there, Ray. <laughs> and that is that people would presume that this is Um, not the only set of things that we need to do. I'm just saying Band-Aid solutions are just that. They have a place. They have a purpose. But to only use investment money to support Band-Aid solutions will do nothing to turn the situation around within your organization. Absolutely. So the question is, if you've got a finite amount of money, how do you How do you use some of it to support the immediate staffing needs of your organization in order to ensure that beds stay open and services are available within the next month, but at the same time, invest in what it is that registered nurses are saying Mm. is pushing them out the door in the first place.
0: And what is it that frontline nurses are saying they want from their employer?
1: Well, number one, Registered nurses are saying, I am leaving this inpatient environment because of the excessive workload and not enough support. You know, you mentioned earlier, Ray, this notion of registered nurses being forced to do all sorts of things that are not a top of license. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's the case, right? So, You know, how is it that an organization says, we want to protect our registered nurses. We want to make certain that they can practice at the top of their license and their capability. But we shouldn't have to rely on our registered nurses to pass trays and to empty garbage Mm -hmm. and to change beds and things of that nature, unlicensed, you know, sets of activities. So enter the entry-level worker strategy we're seeing smart healthcare organizations say boy we've got to develop a pipeline here for support staff to support our registered nurses so that they don't feel as if you know they're not getting the support that they need this is tough for provider organizations because you know entry level workers in every industry, are a hot commodity right now, right? (laughs) And hospitals, unfortunately, are now competing with the likes of McDonald's and Walmart and Costco. Oh, yeah. You know, and so not only does, you know, entry-level salary levels have to be looked at, but also what else are you providing for these folks so they'll stick with you as well? You know, 401ks and PTO and professional development, that's what an entry-level worker is looking for no different than what a professional worker is looking for But perhaps
0: that's a good example of your point about using the limited dollars that you have and spreading them around appropriately. And instead of putting $50,000 and hiring a single person, how could I spread that around to make sure that we're supporting the support staff that are going to help far more than one single registered nurse?
1: That's right. That's right. I'm working with a large system at the moment who, since January, has spent $140 million on agency labor. $140 million. Now, it's a large system, mind you, but $140 million. And so, what the leadership team is saying is all right, we can't eliminate agency labor immediately. We can't. But if we took a look at the sum of $140 million and we said, we're going to try, we're going to figure out how we're going to titrate the reliance of our organization on contract labor over the next 18 months to two years. So how can we use one half of that $140 million on things that we know registered nurses need in order to stay employed with us? Support staff you know, Mm -hmm. professional development, meaningful recognition. And by the way, we haven't talked about this yet, but also support for the first-line nurse manager. Mm. Um, We've talked about the role of the nurse manager being the chief retention officer for years. These first-line nurse managers have been as battered as frontline employees over the past two years. And yet we know that an effective frontline nurse manager can impact staff engagement five times the national norm, as well as decrease registered nurse turnover at the operating unit level by almost 40%, if in fact the registered nurse has the time to focus on the human resource needs of his or her employees. And so how do we invest in nurse managers? (laughs) How do we use that limited money rather than using all of it for travelers? all of it for sign-on bonuses, how do we redirect some of that money over to what we know will make a difference?
0: And I think what you're getting at here, Carol, are some of the solutions that are at the fingertips of executives that go beyond these Band-Aids that we know are going to have negative ripple effects for, for everyone and for perhaps years to come. What are some other kind of shorter- term moves that you want to make sure executive teams know about so that they're not forced into these completely unsustainable financial moves?
1: As I work with executive teams, I, I try to encourage them to not you know not get ahead of their skis. In other words, let's start by what we know can be impactful in the short term to stabilize the exodus of your your clinical workforce. And so Um, I've mentioned before, tried and true evidence-based HR retention practices, attention to vulnerable engagement drivers, making certain that you've got a relevant professional development program because it was suspended during COVID, making certain that you've got meaningful recognition are examples of tried and true HR retention best practices. We are seeing organizations continue to struggle with the basic process of getting a willing candidate in the door for an interview, an offer made, an offer extended, the offer accepted, and the employee's first day of employment. You got to presume that every registered nurse who's looking for a job is getting lots of offers. Mm-hmm. And so the question is how do you expedite the process of identifying a candidate? interviewing that candidate, making an offer, and getting that individual in the door as rapidly as you possibly can so you don't lose that candidate to your competitor. If Amazon Prime can deliver (laughs) anywhere in the country within 24 hours, why can't we deliver an offer at least as close to that timeline as as possible? So we got to think about that from a very different vantage point.
0: We started off this conversation in a really sobering place. But what you're actually giving me now, Carol, is quite a bit of of hope because what you're telling me is that there's actually a lot that can be done to support the nursing workforce. And there's a lot of stuff that folks aren't necessarily trying, or maybe they're doing it in pockets because they're defaulting to these kind of desperate decisions. The most important thing that I've heard you say in this conversation is that we need executive teams to solve some of the root challenges in the nursing workforce in order to make a long-term difference.
1: Actually, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd push on that. It's not problems within the nursing workforce. It's problems within the healthcare environment within which nurses are being asked to work. Ah, this is
0: important. The system in which nurses are the asked to The system itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... You know, this is we we have we have got so many complex variables here that, once again, I mentioned were you know were rising to um, you know sea level pre pandemic that never never were solved.
0: And these are the things that are ultimately going to improve the value proposition for the folks who are leaving the workforce in droves. So, my final question to you is. If you had one message for C-suite leaders to take away or act on so that they can create a system that nurses want to work for that they see value in, what is that thing?
1: There are here and now things that every C-suite needs to make certain that they address. There are also some there are also some more complex changes to the environment within which nurses practice that need to be simultaneously attended to, as evidenced by what nurses are saying themselves that's pushing them out the door. So organizing work differently by putting in place team-based care versus primary or total patient care, taking a look at how we can use virtual care technology, not just to expand physician practice and access, but also to support staffing strategies. We also mentioned, of course, the importance of the role of the nurse manager. And finally, don't underestimate what registered nurses are looking for in terms of employment flexibility. Here and now tactics, Let's let's get retention under control, but don't underestimate what registered nurses themselves are saying is pushing them out the door. We've got to confront those structural issues as well.
0: So if we need executives to understand exactly what nurses need and want and invest in the long-term solutions that are going to get them there, I'm curious, do you have a final message for the nurses themselves that are on the front lines?
1: Be part of the solution, right? Take advantage of the opportunities that I believe your leaders are affording to you to think creatively, think out of the box about the structural barriers that are pushing you away from inpatient care be part of the solution versus sitting on the sidelines because we 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 have to solve this together we can't solve it without you but you need leadership to partner with you at the same time
0: well thanks for coming back on radio advisory carol thank you Carol talked about so many different tactics to support the workforce in the short term and in the long term. But if there's one piece of advice that I want to make sure that you remember, it's the idea that this is not just a workforce issue. And we need executives of all kinds to make sure they're creating the system and the environment for which nurses want to work and for which nurses. See value. That's the way that we're going to support not just our frontline staff, but ultimately patients. So remember, as always, we're here to help.
1: Because I have 27,000 things happening all at once. <laughs> Oh, for God.